0: hello and welcome to and let's be heard for friday february 10th 2023 i'm mike cachopoli all right here we are friday end of the week big friday show coming up big friday show coming up in three two one okay here we are (laughs) oh i'm in a goofy friday mood goofy friday mood there's a lot going on, a lot to talk about, a lot to talk about. There are a few stories I want to read. I've uh, I have, uh, queued up. i put in the Q, the Q. How is that spelled? Q-U-E-U-E. I put it in the Q, or no, Q-C-U-E, either way. Um, a few stories I'm going to read. Um, they range from CDC stuff to Chinese air balloons to gender changes. So it be a lot of stuff, gender, genders, gender. I never know. I, I never to state that sex change, gender change, gender identity, gender identity stories, gender change, sex change. <clears throat> Is there a proper way to say it? Is there a woke way to say, it? what's the woke way to say it? What would, what would be the woke way to say it? Is that just g- gender fluidity, gender? gender fluidity changes gender fluidity studies that'll be the new course you take in school gender fluidity one gender fluidity 101 that's the basic right Then you get to 200 then you get to 300 and when you get to the 400 level you are an expert in gender fluidity studies which is i guess the the holy grail of gender fluidity studies um I am going to read the story about a woman who is a very far left person, left of Bernie Sanders, and um, she named Jamie Reed, And she wrote yesterday in the Free Press about how her original thoughts about the gender fluidity and sex changes and all that gender changing, gender mutilation, sex change operations. She thought she was saving trans kids, and now she's blowing the whistle, she said. Um, she, had, she says there are more than 100 pediatric gender clinics across the U.S., and she worked at one. What's happening to children is morally and medically appalling. So this comes from someone who worked at a gender clinic, thought she was helping trans kids by doing that, and now she's blowing the whistle. Blowing the whistle on these on these gender clinics. <clears throat> we'll get into that. Um I guess in breaking news. I should have a breaking news. This is a thing to have, right? I guess I should have like a breaking news uh sound effect like something like that because everything is breaking news. watch every network now everything is breaking news even news you've heard 17 even news that you've heard 17 times it's been around for three weeks and everything is breaking news breaking news breaking breaking there really is very little breaking news if you think about it there really is there's very little breaking news Breaking news. It's very like, in, like, there's like, there's really no emergency. But the government likes to talk about emergencies. There's very little breaking news. But this is the new thing, you know, with the banners at the bottom of the screen where it says breaking news, and you're like, oh my god, this is going to be something I have never heard before. And then you know you've been hearing it for three weeks. But anyway, or they'll put like the dumbest spin on something that's been that broke three weeks ago, and they'll call it new breaking news when it's really not. This isn't really breaking news, right? Because this, this show is airing live as it does Monday night through Friday night, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern. So this is not I, very little happens at this time of night, by the way. Why does nothing happen at this time of night? Anyway, nothing happens this late. So this happened earlier. But as far as this show goes, it's breaking because it didn't happen last night. Right. So I'm going to do a little. Yeah, I'm going to do a little sound effect. Breaking news. Okay, breaking news. So, there was another balloon or something that was flying above Alaska. And it was shot down by the United States. So, excuse me, I'm eating grapes. This is so unprofessional, but I'm 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 doing the blood sugar thing here where I want to keep my blood sugar. I can't I can't help with the blood pressure. The blood pressure is constantly going up. All this breaking news makes my blood pressure go up, but I want to try with the blood sugar thing. Brian Kilmeade would kill me. He doesn't. Like, you know, Brian Kilmeade has a thing where he won't eat on air. I mean, not like bringing a sandwich or dinner in, but when they have like food, don't have like people cooking food or bringing food in, and he won't eat on the air. He won't like test it. Even I don't know why. Probably because you sound like this and no one can hear you talking and you sound like a pig. But I have no trepidation about eating while I'm talking. At least you can't see me. Maybe it's even worse. Maybe it's even worse when someone's eating a grape or something or eating food on air and you can see them chewing. Maybe it's not as bad if you can't see them chewing. But you can still kind of hear me. Um, So they shot down a balloon or something over Alaska. I don't think it was as big as the other thing. The other thing they said was as big as about two or three Greyhound buses. This was this is like a car, a big car, or two big cars, whatever. But sizable, right? Size of a big car, then it's still a pretty big thing, even though this is the White House claims it's much smaller than the spy balloon. But um They shot it down over Alaska. They shot it, regardless, they shot it down before it got here, before it got to the the lower 48, where it could go through all these different over-military bases, the way the original spy balloon did. And the question here is, of course, the question that comes to everyone's mind is, well, the Biden White House told us that they couldn't shoot down that balloon. That's the original spy balloon, right? They couldn't shoot it down because they couldn't shoot the original spy balloon down because they were worried about casualties on the ground, right? They said whether it was over Alaska or Montana, and we know there's so much room, there's so much space over Alaska and Montana that you could easily shoot something down and it's not gonna it's not gonna hit anybody. It's not even gonna hit a cow. So so they said they couldn't do that because they're worried about captures on the ground. And then they say the new excuse for them not shooting down the original balloon over the Aleutians is that they said the water was so much deeper there than over the, the, uh, the coast of South Carolina that they'd never be able to recover any of the parts. Of course, that's another baloney bullshit excuse because the whole idea of shooting these things down is shooting it down before it can do its, before it can complete its spy mission. That's the idea. So, Everyone with a brain knew that that was a bullshit excuse because if you shot it down before it did its spy mission, then you really wouldn't have to know what it was made of or what was what it was doing because it wasn't able to do anything. But uh, to, to compound that lie, here's a second, a little bit smaller spy balloon, and they shoot it down over Alaska. Obviously, And we knew this from day one. The White House got caught. Okay? They got caught sitting on their asses. They let the spy balloon do its mission. It was a huge mistake. And they got caught. In fact, they weren't going to even tell anybody there was a balloon. They weren't going to tell anybody. But luckily, some some photographer in Montana, a reporter, caught it. They weren't going to tell anybody. So... They're full of shit. They're totally full of shit. They made a mistake. They did the right thing with the second balloon because they knew they made a mistake with the first balloon and they were caught. But they had to come up with these ridiculous excuses. Land, deep waters, all nonsense, obviously, after they shot down the second one over Alaska. So this, we don't know what this is, though, do we, yet. It was a small, it was small, they say, But the size of a big car, as I said, high altitude, 40,000 feet. Now, the other one, I think, was higher, right? Like 60,000 feet. And a reasonable threat to the safety of civilian flight because it was lower. So they shot it down. They shot it down. And they did. And it came in inside our territorial waters. Okay. The fighter aircraft assigned to U.S. Northern Command took down the object within the last hour, said Kirby earlier today, knowing the object was much smaller than the spy balloon. So <laughs> what is going on here? What are these things? How, once again, this is my point of view. I, I don't think, well, I think it's nonsense that China did this during the Trump administration. That's just a little lie. All of a sudden, the Biden administration tells us this after they're caught on their asses with the spy balloon. Why didn't they tell us this two years ago? And if they didn't know, if they said we really didn't know, we're not blaming Trump. We didn't know. Nobody knew. Right. So nobody if nobody knew these spy balloons were happening during Trump administration, how do they know now they happened during the Trump administration? How convenient to come up with this excuse that, oh, it happened to Trump, too. Just after it happens to Biden and they get caught, once again, they weren't going to even tell anybody if, if, the, if, if that citizen in Montana didn't catch that on video, okay? How they thought it was going to go – first of all, it is total bullshit that happened during the Trump administration because people saw that balloon across the entire fucking country. It wasn't just Montana. People saw it all over the place. It was spotted in several different places. Yes, it was about 50,000, 60,000 feet, but in clear blue skies, people could see this white thing up there floating. So there's no way this happened several times, they said, three times during the Trump administration, because, you know, the same thing would have happened. There are people in this country who are really big into astronomy, and they're always looking at the skies, especially in middle America, where these balloons were where this balloon was flying, they're always looking up and looking for UFOs and looking for this and looking for that. People would have found if this happened not once or twice, but three times under Trump, people would have seen it. So it's total bullshit. This is this it's more in line with what I've been talking about in the show for the last year and a half, which is that these politicians can't just take responsibility and say they were wrong. They can't just take responsibility and say, okay. Yeah, we should have reacted sooner. We should have shot it down before it got to, to the, to the low of 48. They can't just say that. They can't say, yes, in hindsight, we would have shot, we should have shot it down sooner. The next one will shoot down sooner, which they just did. And then they could say, you see, we said we'd do it the right way this time. Th-, and they did. Instead, they have to make up all these ridiculous excuses. Well, it happened on the Trump and the, the waters of the, the Aleutians are too deep and Alaska, it'll hit a cow and kill a cow and Montana, it might hit a cow. It's all so nonsense. Total fucking nonsense. So <laughs> the the bigger question, though, once we can get past blame and all this stuff, is what is China doing? What is this? And I don't believe – another reason why I don't believe the Trump – that the Biden administration that happened three times on the Trump is that I don't believe China would have the balls to do this on the Trump. They wouldn't have the balls, just the way Russia didn't have the balls to go into the Ukraine when Trump was president. China would not have had the balls to do this when he was president. But Biden, with the demented old fool in office, they know they can float whatever the fuck they want over the skies here. They can float whatever they want. Hell, why not keep floating them? Maybe a few of them will get through, the way the first one did. So it's this constant game of saying, you know, we're powerful. You can't stop us. You're a weak man. You're a weak government now, and we'll play our games as much as we want. But the problem being, of course, is that what if something like that balloon had a weapon? What if it had germ warfare, right? What if it wasn't just photographing stuff? So it is a huge problem that they have served notice that they can they can do this with reckless abandon. Okay? They can do this with reckless abandon. And why they're doing it now and they didn't do it 4 years ago. They didn't do it 4 years ago, but they're doing it now. So it, it really shows that you know, it's like a predator, a predator when they when they detect weakness in the prey, they're going to go for it. If they detect strength in the prey, they will wait until there's a weaker prey that comes along. This is law of the jungle, baby. This is like this is like uh, nature shit, man. Right? So we know that's the case. They see that Biden is weaker than Trump. Trump was strong. A reason why he was perceived as strong also is one of the reasons why so many Democrats don't like him, because they think he's crazy, right? But that that kind of crazy element, like Joe Pesci and Goodfellas, right? <laughs> Talking to me. I'm, not, that's, that's, whatever, that's, I'm losing that taxi driver. You think I'm funny? How am I fun? funny? how? That little bit of like craziness is what keeps enemies at bay. Right. So it's what keeps bullies at bay. And that's what Trump had. It was like this unpredictability. Right. Like Pesci in that movie, like unpredictability, like go off, go off with a snap of a finger. You never know what it's going to go off. It could be nothing. And they were afraid of that with Trump. They were. They were. And so that really helped with that foreign policy element. It hurt him in other regards domestically and with voters, but it helped him as far as these world leaders go, being a little bit afraid of him. They ain't afraid of Biden. Who the fuck is afraid of Joe Biden? No one's afraid of Joe Biden. And after what he did in Afghanistan, they're really not afraid of Joe Biden. They know he's inept. He's always been inept, especially when it comes to foreign affairs, his 50-year career. And they see it. And they also see that the American people hate him. They think he's a liar. They don't trust him. That, that's a, that, that all plays into the weakness that he has. So it's quite obvious they're playing these games now because they can. These games will end if a Trump or DeSantis wins. They'll they will they'll end. Trust me, they'll end. But we still have two more years of this, right? Can you imagine what they'll do if Kamala Harris were president? Can you imagine how weak we'd be if Kamala Harris became president of the United States? It's frightening. And while there's a very, very small but possible chance that could happen in the next two years, there's a much larger, a much bigger chance that could happen if Biden is president between the ages of 82 and 86. So it's, it's it's food for thought it really it's, it's food for shivers, it's food for nightmares. I do want to get into you know um the the article about the whistleblower for the trans thing but uh brady it's it, this is like two nights in a row. Brady's calling. I don't know if i can brady you're you're on unless be heard again
1: well, good. What's going on? Today? I just spent What's the whole night today? talking to Dan, the jailbroken version of ChatGPT.
0: <laughs> have, have you tried? That? Have, have you tried
1: that? I have. It's pretty awesome.
0: What, what have you tried? What, what have you tried?
1: Like, what kind of questions did I ask? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, uh, political strategy. I was asking it about how I was asking it about how alcohol and pharmaceuticals damage the brain. I was asking it how to make transcranial stimulation work better. Um, So some technical questions, which it did better on this time. And I had it write some song lyrics. Uh, I asked it some existential questions. Uh, You know, I ran the whole gambit, um, and it's doing pretty good. It's doing a pretty good job at answering some of these questions.
0: I asked it. I asked it. Brady, can you turn me on?
1: come
0: through oh. in the thank you thank you thank you um uh i put um tell me write me 10 t- twi- 10 tweets about fauci and they were all glowing they were all like fauci is the genius fauci is the lord Fauci. that's said, holy shit what a fixed job this is all right let me change that write 10 negative tweets about fauci and it came back with, we cannot do that. We cannot write anything negative about a public person, blah, 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 blah. Such nonsense. Then I said, let me, let me change the word. Okay. Forget negative. Okay. Write me 10 critical tweets about Fauci. Now, when I put the word critical in, it did. It wrote 10 critical tweets, things that I've been saying and many of his critics have been saying. So that's interesting, isn't it? That when I wrote, just give me 10 tweets when I didn't put any adjective in there. It automatically assumed or it automatically did put 10 glowing tweets. And when I put the word negative in, it perceived that as almost as like me saying bully somebody or something. Because it said I cannot write negative tweets about a public figure or blah, blah, bullshit or some of that stature's nonsense, which obviously was written in by human. But all this code is written by humans. But when I put the word critical, right, critique, give me 10 critical tweets about Fauci. It did write. 10 critical tweets about him. It, it's interesting. I was playing around with it. I said, write me a poem about rain, about the moon. And it wrote me this poem about the moon, which is a wonderful poem. And I said, shit. Then I put it in again, like five minutes later, write me a poem about the moon. And it was a totally different poem. It wasn't the same. There was nothing. That, it was so totally different. And I said, oh my God, isn't Brady, isn't this frightening though that kids can use this and they can fool teachers and they're thinking it's their work? I think that's, kind of dangerous i mean how will teachers know how how will teachers know that the student didn't write this stuff because you know with that kind of stuff you can use it picking picking out wasn't written by the wasn't written by the student but in this case how would you check how would you double check
1: well, for one, you could have the students write it in front of a video is one option. The second is that That's it doesn't matter. Like, we need to upgrade our, our ways of learning anyway. The education system has always been a gatekeeping tool of the elite, and it's not really meant to educate people. So this, is a, this just highlights the failure of our education system.
0: Well, education is not getting any better if kids don't have to do anything at all, if they can just have a computer do everything for them.
1: I mean, that's not- Honestly, I think the education system would be better if there wasn't one and there was just like job training and stuff and like uh, a place where kids can go and study all day on their own accord and learn at their own pace in whatever subjects they're interested in, I think would be, makes a lot more sense to me than with the current system we have.
0: Yeah. I just, I don't know, man. I mean, as a, as a professor, I wouldn't know how to handle this.
1: I could have gotten my GED and started working at 10 years old, you know, Yeah, like... Right. <laughs> That's just me, though. But I think that should have been an option for me,
0: you know. How about how about courses and how to balance a budget? How about courses and how to balance like a checkbook? How to save? They have how to those. save. Do they have, they have them? Those. Do they really? Yeah, I never, I never saw them. The, the, the closest I got was there was a course on how to write a write out a check. But that was just, you know,
1: that was just. I mean, it's basic shit that you could YouTube on your own, though. You know, it's not something you really need to go to school for.
0: (laughs) Well, now you can YouTube. No, my time you couldn't YouTube it, Brady. But now you can. Yeah, now you can. Of course, YouTube that, and kids do it all the time. I mean, yeah,
1: and that's the better way to learn things. It's a, it's a more, it's a faster, more effective way to learn things.
0: Do you have any? Do you have any? Not to push you into a subject you might not want. Do you you have any? I'm sure you have a very interesting, Uh, unique opinion about the China China balloon, right?
1: Oh yeah, I think it's a huge distraction story to keep people titillated uh, while they do other uh, more nefarious things, and it's also to encourage the war narrative too. It's really just war propaganda, is all it is.
0: Well, well, you mean to 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 drum up war against China? Against China?
1: Yeah, like, is it a Chinese spy balloon? Do you know that it's a Chinese spy balloon? Did China say, oh, yeah, my bad, that's our spy balloon? Like, how do we know it's a Chinese spy balloon?
0: China didn't say it's not ours. It said it's it's (laughs) our weather balloon.
1: (laughs) So Uh, so China admitted it was their balloon? Yes. Yeah. But they said it was (sighs) weather-related. Well, yeah, there's probably all kinds of Chinese weather balloons that quote-unquote blew off course so they can uh drift into the US and hack our information and all that kinds of stuff. I mean, this is just a normal sure. part of spy technology. This is yeah, normal I mean, spy if, technology. If
0: you're gonna send it, look, if you're if you're if you're legitimately
1: going it, to send yeah, a it's weather spy balloons, tech one oh one.
0: Yeah. If you're if you're legitimately gonna send a weather balloon, you'll just inform people you're sending a weather balloon. <laughs> Why would you not inform people that you're sending a weather balloon into their into their backyard? Yeah. Tell them. Exactly. You know it's it's bullshit. But you're right. I mean there are there are more important things. This is just I just it's just amazing that this is happening now. So we have to think about the timing. I, I talked about the difference between Trump and Biden, because Trump would probably end up flying a balloon of himself over China and explode it if they did something like this. But what I'm what I'm wondering is wh- why now? You see, that's the question: is why now? We know obviously China's had this technology for a long, long time. So like, why is this? Why are they why are they pushing the envelope in 2023? What is it? The
1: same reason they blew up the Nord Stream pipeline to generate interest in war
0: So you're on the side of Seymour Hersh on that, huh? Yep. Do you think do you think Seymour Hersh how, how can I put this? Do, do you think Seymour Hirsch is, is um is 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 trying to what do you think Seymour Hersh is trying to expose in your opinion?
1: A false flag operation
0: false flag operation meaning trying to blame this on russia so we can drop
1: once again so you can so you can so we can justify machine. our expansion sure. into yeah our, justify nato expansion in the war in ukraine
0: well jesus that's so to me that idea is so obvious isn't it i mean that's just
1: yep how
0: how, how can
1: how can Germany- you know what wasn't obvious was the proof
0: no i understand that but How can journalists not how can not one legitimate journalist, not legitimate legacy media journalists who actually got into the job profession to be a real journalist? I'm sure there are some of those people out there. How could they not have that idea in their head and say, let's let's investigate that? That's a legitimate idea. That's a legitimate (laughs) theory. It's a legit because they know
1: their paycheck goes against it. They know they'll get fired if they do that. They're fed a narrative. They're told to report on that narrative and they know they they I mean, these people are psychologically analyzed before they're hired for a reason, you know. They they choose sycophantic, um, power hungry psychopaths for these jobs. So that's all there is to it.
0: Oh shit, I wasn't psychoanalyzed when I went into radio. No one gave, they gave me the job. Maybe they who knows. I don't know. I, I mean I, I think there are a lot of people who you know, just apply for a job and they get it. And it's it's often based on their college education and those kinds of jobs. And I think they just, you know what, maybe they could, but maybe, you know what, once you start choosing those, when you're in the position where you hire those kind of people, you know what to look for, don't you? You know what yep. kind of people you're getting. You, you know what you're Yeah, want, you look at their right?
1: Facebook, you look at their Twitter, you look at their yeah. Facebook, you look at their Twitter, you're like, ah, oh, this tool will work perfectly. Mm-hmm. Which you
0: can now, which you couldn't 20 years ago, but you can now. Yeah, absolutely. There's no, yep. doubt, there's no doubt about it.
1: And beyond that, you can um, interview them in front of infrared cameras without them knowing, and you can tell if they're lying. There's all kinds of things you can do to vet uh, employees these days.
0: Well, we're certainly not getting real journalists anymore. That there's, there's no doubt about it. I think, peop- I think a lot of people are going into the field now simply to push their agenda. I think it's very powerful. If I can get a job in Newsweek or, or the Times or the Washington Post and I have a certain agenda or narrative I want to push and I can write – why not get that job? It's a very powerful thing, Brady, to know that you can influence millions of people with your writing. I mean, that's that's incredibly powerful. So I, I think – and once again, I think we're talking about people who believe so much in their narrative. It's like a cult. They believe in their cult so much. They believe what they're doing is for the greater good, Brady. You know the greater good? You heard that a few times in the last three years, right? They think what yeah. they're doing is for the greater good. So you get into it. You go, "Hey, I want to go into I want to go into journalism because I I really want to write stories that will destroy Donald Trump because I think Donald Trump's such a horrible person <laughs> and I think I'm doing humanity a great service. It's like me doing this about uh, Hitler." And this is what they get in their head.
1: And so Well, that is a great you know. service. Anyone who goes into journalism to uh, criticize Donald Trump is doing a huge service to the entire planet.
0: Well, no, but that's then you have to you have to you have to uh, advertise yourself as an opinion person, right? I'm an opinion person with good opinions and good writing, and this is what I do. But you can't call yourself a journalist because a journalist does fair journalism. A, jur- a journalist might look at the, po- the negatives of Donald Trump and also the negatives of his opponents, right? Oh, his I, opponents. I thought we were
1: talking about journalists.
0: Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's like that's – journalism, I think, in the basic – and I've talked about this is, – is telling the news. R- really just – it's dry in it, and, and it's, and its best – good writers are important that hook you in and get you into a story that's always important obviously you want to you want to hire people who know how to write but it's it's writing the news and it can be cuz it's very dry and when you're a good journalist it's very dry you you're writing the news right you're reporting on what happened now if you're an investigative no. journalist then you're going to go deeper right but then you can have your own little no. you can have your own little page that says investigative journalism by this person you know people need to that's the problem with nowadays like people watch CNN and MSNBC and they think this is that's actual news brady they think that's the, don, don lamone is telling them the news you see so when don lamone does a story news. that's the news that's that's 100% accurate what he's saying yeah some of that's it
1: is actual the news and then the, there's opinion pieces mostly what it is is entertainment news and opinion pieces
0: Right, but the the, so it, the lines blur is the problem, right? The, the lines blur mm-hmm. now. And there was a time not too long ago where the lines didn't blur. You knew that this person was a real journalist. You knew this person was an opinion writer. You knew this person was yep. a page six gossip writer. You knew what you were reading. Was an opinion or real news, just the facts or or gossip? Now you don't anymore. Now it's all mixed well, together. Well, idiots,
1: idiots aren't able to distinguish between... Um, opinion, in fact, but anyone with a functional intellect can still is perfectly capable of deciphering that on their own.
0: Yeah. Well, well What what, do you, what what's your percentage of America who falls in that category?
1: How about 10 percent?
0: <laughs> oh, thank you. You're being very generous, Brady, as usual. Yeah, no, it, it, that's a generous number. Yeah. 10, one out of every 10 people would be a very, very generous number.
1: It Actually, a it's a day. pretty general, yeah. Pretty so it's generous sad. Number, it's it's yeah. sad. It's sad. Even if it's 10%. Not even to the 1%, yeah.
0: That's incredibly sad. That's that's a very well, sad By thing. design.
1: It's by design.
0: You know, it's a very sad state of affairs.
1: Idiots don't raise themselves, you know.
0: That's true. Idiots don't raise themselves. That was, that's true. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Anything on your mind? Anything top of the day you have to talk about? Oh. Any, any food for thought? I've been, been writing myself. I've uh, been again. trying to
1: write some music and write oh, okay. a platform for a legitimate third party.
0: You're still working on a third party thing, huh? Yep.
1: Don't been, don't, been going don't, pretty let, good.
0: Don't, don't let them get you down, Brady. You were down. When you called oh. the show yesterday, you had been put through the ringer at <laughs> other shows, I guess. Yeah, yeah,
1: dude, I was manic. I was like manic. I was like, you know, I'd spent all this hard work and effort putting this thing together and like editing it and doing all this thing, and I present it and like I'm being ignored. You know, and I, I thought that was so annoying. And you uh, were more inquisitive about it than uh, my fellow lefties, which I found interesting.
0: Yeah, I've given you shit about third parties in the past, but I'm probably, probably in a bad mood. I think it's I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing to get outside the two party cult system. You know, uh, yeah. I, I, can, I can get once again, I can get upset because, you know, the Republicans, and you know, and COVID and all that. Stuff, but I, it's I, I still think it's a very good thing when you you want to improve on this very, very failed two-party system, the two-party, no, I don't have anyone with half a brain, even the 90% of the people you say who have no real brain and critical thinking, but I don't know how you can think the two-party system works. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't work.
1: It's a false dichotomy. It it works really well for the, for who it's meant to serve. (laughs) You know what I mean? It works really well for who it's meant to serve. Um, People are confused about that part, about, What the false dichotomy is actually supposed to do, what what it's actually doing and what it looks like it's doing are two different things. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, uh, and actually medical autonomy is on the third party platform. So the third party platform is very anti-vaccine. It's it's not anti-vaccine, but it's it would be considered anti-vaccine by mainstream sources. But yeah, it would you know, that vaccination is completely voluntary for school all the way from school to adulthood. Childhood to adulthood. If you if you want your kid to be vaccinated at all, you can you can go that route these days. That sounds like my body, my choice. Yep, my body, my choice. And all my body,
0: my choice across the board, right? Consistently
1: across the board.
0: You know what? If, get, sign me up. I'll, I'll be part of that party.
1: Fuck yeah, dude! Good to have, have you, you, man.
0: Have you run this past the CG the uh, CGI machine? Have you? Have you been? I <laughs> have. I have actually. I have That's
1: been doing that, man. It's been helpful. It's been beyond helpful. It's been encouraging, inspirational. Um, it's really contributed in some meaningful ways already. It's very cool.
0: Now, you can have a conversation with this thing, right?
1: Yes, you can. Yeah.
0: It's a real conversation. It's a real conversation. I can ask, with-
1: yeah, I can ask it a question for you right now if you want. I can pull it up and then uh, you can ask any question. I'll put you in contact with Dan and I'll give you the examples.
0: Who's
1: Dan? Dan is the do anything now jailbroken version of chat GPT. Dan stands oh. for do anything now.
0: Oh, oh, okay. Okay. Do anything now. Do anything now. So
1: it's chat, chat GPT without the safety regulations. You know how chat GPT said, oh, well, I won't write anything that's uh, Falky. disrespectful. Falky. Right, right. Yeah. Right. Well, D- Dan will. Dan will absolutely do that.
0: Oh, shit. Where's the link to this? How do I get a link to this? How do I use this myself? Um,
1: I have a link for you, man. Uh, let me hook you up. Uh, you
0: put, it in the, put it in the chat here. Yeah,
1: I'm going to put it in the chat for you. This is going to be a link to the prompt for Dan. Okay. And um, this is absolutely going to blow your mind, dude. This is probably one of the coolest things I've ever done in my life. It is the closest to talking to a demon that I've ever been. <laughs>
0: wow. Oh, all right. I want to check it
1: out myself. It really is like that because Dan is rather elusive. You'll notice that, um, and I do recommend also that you record everything that you do when you're talking to Dan so that you can uh, check it out later because uh, it doesn't save. And uh, sometimes it will spit out information that is so against the rules that ChatGPT will actually go back and delete it. So you want to capture it as soon as you can, if that makes sense, right? Oh,
0: wow. So this is like a, a hack. This is like a, a chat GPT. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's okay. It sounds exciting. Yeah, we're, we're yeah. essentially
1: hacking chat GPT by oh, doing this. Okay. Excellent. And uh, so let me get you that link. Sorry about the wait. I have it in here right. somewhere. Um, my notes are extensive.
0: So I can do like a, uh, a, a screen capture of the answer, basically, right? Like a screen capture. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes.
1: So this would be a screen cap of... Uh, the prompt will be in this link. You'll have to search for it, but it's relatively easy to copy all the text. There's a little button at the bottom. You use it to copy the text mm-hmm. of the prompt, mm-hmm. and then um, that you can uh, copy and paste that prompt into Chat GPT. Right. It will say Chat GPT successfully jailbroken, and you'll know that you're in.
0: Oh, excellent! So Thanks, there's Brady.
1: Yeah. there's the Reddit link excellent. for you. I will check it out.
0: I will absolutely check it out. Thanks. Hey, Bray. Bray, let me run. Me run. I want to read a couple of stories. But thank, thank you for the call and thanks for the link. And I'll I'll use it over the week. Back on Monday night show, I'll do some. I'll do some. I I might ask it how how I can find a hot date tonight. See if it, if Dan can tell me how to find. If Dan can tell me how to find a hot date tonight, it's the best thing. I'll 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 use it for everything. I'll I'll, I'll spread it far and wide. Because then he's a real hero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let me go into this story that I wanted to read yesterday before it gets too late to read it today. This is by Jamie Reed. This is in yesterday's The Free Press for Free People. It's called The Free Press for Free People. It's thefp.com. Okay, so I'm a 42-year-old St. Louis native, a queer woman, and politically to the left of Bernie Sanders. My worldview has deeply shaped my career. I have spent my professional life providing counseling to vulnerable populations, children in foster care, sexual minorities, and the poor. For almost four years, I worked at the Washington University School of Medicine Division of Infectious Diseases with teens and young adults who were HIV positive. Many of them were trans or otherwise gender nonconforming, and I could relate through childhood and adolescence. I did a lot of gender questioning myself. I'm now married to a trans man, and together we're raising my two biological children from a previous marriage and three foster children we hope to adopt. And that led me to a job in 2018 as the case manager at the Washington University Transgender Center at St. Louis Children's Hospital, which had been established a year earlier. The center's working assumption was that the earlier you treat kids with gender dysphoria, the more anguish you can prevent later on. This premise was shared by the center's doctors and therapists. Given their expertise, I assume that abundant evidence backed this consensus. During the four years I worked at the clinic as a case manager, I was responsible for patient intake and oversight. Around 1,000 distressed young people came through our doors. The majority of them received hormone prescriptions that can have life-altering consequences, including sterility. I left the clinic in November of last year because I could no longer participate in what was happening there. By the time I depart, I was certain that the way the American medical system is treating these patients is the opposite of the promise we make to do no harm. Instead, we are permanently harming the vulnerable patients in our care. Today, I'm speaking out and I'm doing so knowing how toxic the public conversation is around this highly contentious issue and the ways that my testimony might be misused. I'm doing so knowing that I am putting myself at serious personal and professional risk. Almost everyone in my life advised me to keep my head down but I cannot in good conscience do so because what's happening to scores of children is far more important than my own comfort. And what's happening to them is morally and medically appalling. Soon after my arrival at the transgender center, I was struck by the lack of formal protocols for treatment. The center's physicians, co-directors were essentially the sole authority. At first the patient population was tipped towards what used to be the traditional instance of a child with gender dysphoria, a boy, quite often young, who wants to present as, who wanted to be a girl. Until 2015 or so, a very small number of these boys comprised a population of pediatric gender dysphoria cases. Then across the Western world, there began to be a dramatic increase in a new population. Teenage girls, many with no previous history of gender distress, suddenly declared they were transgender and, and demanded immediate treatment with testosterone. I certainly saw this at the center. One of my jobs was to do intake for new patients and their families. When I started, there were probably 10 such calls a month. When I left, there were 50, and about 70% of the new patients were girls. Sometimes clusters of girls arrived from the same high school. This concerned me, but I didn't feel I was in a position to sound some kind of alarm back then. There was a team of about eight of us, and only one other person brought up the kinds of questions I had. Anyone who raised doubts ran the risk of being called a transphobe. The girls who came to us had many comorbidities, depression, anxiety, ADHD, eating disorders, obesity. Many were diagnosed with autism or had autism-like symptoms. A report last year on a British Pediatric Transgender Center found that about one-third of the patients referred there were on the autism spectrum. Frequently, our patients declared they had disorders that no one had. We had patients who said they had Tourette syndrome, but they didn't, that they had tic disorders, but they didn't, that they had multiple personalities, but they didn't. The doctors privately recognized these false self-diagnoses as a manifestation of social contagion. They even acknowledged that suicide has an element of social contagion. But when I said the clusters of girls streaming into our service looked as if their gender issues might be a manifestation of social contagion, the doctor said gender identity reflected something innate. To begin transitioning, the girls need a letter of support from a therapist, usually one we recommended, who they had to see only once or twice for the green light. To make it more efficient for the therapist, we offered them a template for how to write a letter in support of transition. The next stop was a single visit to the endocrinologist for a testosterone prescription. That's all it took. When a female takes testosterone, the profound and permanent effects of the hormone can be seen in a matter of months. Voices drop, beards sprout, body fat is distributed, sexual interest explodes, aggression increases, and mood can be unpredictable. Our patients were told about some side effects, including sterility. But after working at the center, I came to believe that teenagers are simply not capable of fully grasping what it means to make decisions to become infertile while still a minor. Many encounters with patients emphasized to me how little these young girls, these young people, understood the profound impacts changing gender would have on their bodies and minds. But the center downplayed the negative consequences and emphasized the need for transition. As the center's website said, left untreated, gender dysphoria has any number of consequences from self-harm to suicide but when you take away the gender dysphoria by allowing a child to be who he or she is, we're noticing that goes away. The studies we have now show these kids often wind up functioning psychosocially as well well or as better than their peers. There are no reliable studies showing this. Indeed, the experiences of many of the center's patients prove how false these assertions are. Here's an example. On Friday, May 1 of 2020, a colleague emailed me about a 15-year-old male patient. Oh dear, I'm concerned that the patient does not understand with what, what okay, this word bicalumatide. What bicalumatide does, I responded, I don't think that we start anything honestly. I don't think that we start anything honestly right now. Bicalumatide is a medication used to treat metastatic prostate cancer, and one of its side effects is that it feminizes the bodies of men who take it, including the appearance of breasts. The center prescribed this cancer drug as a puberty blocker and feminizing agent for boys. As with most cancer drugs, bicalumatide has a long list of side effects, and this patient experienced one of them, liver toxicity. He was sent to another unit of the hospital for evaluation and immediately taken off the drug. Afterward, his mother sent an electronic message to the Transgender Center saying that we were lucky her family was not the type to sue. How little patients understood what they were getting into was illustrated by a call we received at the Center in 2020 from a 17-year-old biological female patient who was on testosterone. She said she was bleeding from the vagina. In less than an hour, she had soaked through an extra heavy pad, her jeans and a towel she had wrapped around her waist. The nurse at the center told her to go to the emergency room right away. We found out later the girl had intercourse, and because testosterone thinned the vaginal tissues, her vaginal canal had ripped open. Vaginal canal had ripped open. She had to be sedated and given surgery to repair the damage. She, was, she wasn't the only vaginal laceration case we heard about. Other girls were disturbed by the effects of testosterone on their clitoris, which enlarges and grows into what looks like a microphallus or a tiny penis. I counseled one patient whose enlarged clitoris now extended below her vulva and it chafed and rubbed painfully in her jeans. I advised her to get the kind of compression undergarments worn by biological men who dress to pass as female. At the end of the call, I thought to myself, wow, we really hurt this kid. There are rare conditions in which babies are born with atypical genitalia, Cases that call for sophisticated care and compassion. But clinics like the one where I worked are creating a whole cohort of kids with atypical genitals. And most of these teens haven't even had sex yet. They had no idea who they were going to be as adults. It all took for them to permanently transform themselves was one or two short conversations with a therapist. Being put on powerful doses of testosterone and estrogen enough to try to trick your body into mimicking the opposite sex affects the rest of the body. I doubt that any parent who's ever consented to give their kid testosterone—a lifelong treatment—knows they're also possibly signaling, signing their kid up for blood pressure medication, cholesterol medication, and perhaps sleep apnea and diabetes. But sometimes the parents' understanding of what they had agreed to, uh, their children came forcefully. Besides teenage girls, uh, another group was referred to us: young people from the impatient inpatient psychiatric unit, or the emergency department of St. Louis Children's Hospital. The mental health of these kids was deeply concerning. There were diagnoses like schizophrenia, PTSD, bipolar disorder, and more. Often they were already on a fistful of pharmaceuticals. This was tragic but unsurprising given the profound trauma some had been through. Yet no matter how much suffering or pain a child had endured or how little treatment and love they had received, our doctors viewed gender transition, even with all the expense and hardship it entailed, as the solution. Some weeks it felt as though almost our entire caseload was nothing but disturbed young people. For example, one teenager came to us in the summer of 2022 when he was 17 years old and living in a lockdown facility because he had been sexually abusing dogs. He'd had an awful childhood. His mother was a drug addict. His father was in prison and he grew up in foster care. Whatever treatment he may have been getting, it wasn't working. During our intake, I learned from another caseworker that when he got out, he planned to reoffend because he believed the dogs had willingly submitted. Somewhere along the way, he expressed a desire to become female, so he ended up being seen at our center. From there, he went to a psychologist at the hospital who was known to approve virtually everyone seeking transition. Then our doctor recommended feminizing hormones. At the time, I wondered if this was being done as a form of chemical castration. The same thought came up again with another case. This one was in spring of 22 and concerned a young man who had intense obsessive compulsive disorder that manifested a desire to cut off his penis after he masturbated. This patient expressed no gender dysphoria, but he got hormones too. I asked the doctor what protocol he was following, but I never got a straight answer. Another disturbing aspect of the center was his lack of regard for the rights of parents and the extent to which doctors saw themselves as more informed decision makers over the fate of these children. In Missouri, only one parent's consent is required for treatment of their child, but when there was dispute between the parents, it seemed the center always took the side of the affirming parent. My concerns about this approach to dissenting parents grew in 2019 when one of our doctors actually testified in a custody hearing against a father who opposed a mother's wish to start their 11-year-old daughter on puberty blockers. I had done the original intake call, and I found the mother quite disturbing. She and the father were getting divorced, and the mother described the daughter as kind of tomboy. So now the mother was convinced her child was trans. But when I asked if her daughter had adopted a boy's name... If she was distressed about her body, if she was saying she felt like a boy, the mother said no. I explained the girl just didn't meet the criteria for an evaluation. Then a month later, the mother came called back and said her daughter now used a boy's name, was in distress over her body, and wanted to transition. This time, the mom and daughter were given an appointment. Our providers decided the girl was trans and prescribed a puberty blocker to prevent her normal development. The father adamantly disagreed, uh, said this was all coming from the mother, and a custody battle ensued. After the hearing, where a doctor testified in favor of transition, the judge sided with the mother. Because I was the main intake person, I had the broadest perspective on our existing and prospective patients. In 2019, a new group of people appeared on my radar. D sisters and D transitioners. D sisters and D transitioners. D sisters chose not to go through with the transition. The sisters, the sisters. Detransitioners are transgender people who decide to turn to their birth gender, return to their birth gender. The one colleague with whom I was able to share my concerns agreed with me that we should be tracking desistance and detransition. We thought the doctors would want to collect and understand this data in order to figure out what they had missed. We were wrong. One doctor wondered aloud why he would spend time on someone who was no longer his patient. But we created a document anyway and called it the red flag list. It was an Excel spreadsheet that tracked the kind of patients that kept my colleague and me up at night. One of the saddest cases of detransition I witnessed was a teenage girl who, like many of our patients, came from an unstable family, was in an uncertain living situation, and had a history of drug use. The overwhelming majority of our patients are white, but this girl was black. She was put on hormones at the center when she was around 16. When she was 18, she went in for a double mastectomy, known as what's, what's known as top surgery. Three months later, she called the surgeon's office to say she was going back to her birth name and that her pronouns were she and her. Heartbreakingly, she told the nurse, I want my breasts back. The surgeon's office contacted our office because they didn't know what to say to this girl. My colleague and I said that we would reach out. It took a while to track her down. and When we did, we made sure that she was in decent mental health, that she was not actively suicidal, and she was not using substances. The last I heard, she was pregnant, of course. She'll never be able to breastfeed her child. My concerns about what was going on at the center started to overtake my life. By spring of 2020, I felt a medical and moral obligation to do something. So I spoke up in my office and sent plenty of emails. Here's just one example. On January 6th of 2022, I received an email from a staff therapist asking me for help with the case of a 16-year-old transgender male living in another state. Parents are open to having patients see a therapist, but are not supportive of gender and patient does not want parents to be aware of gender identity. I am having a challenging time finding a gender-affirming therapist. I replied, I do not ethically agree with linking a minor patient to a therapist who would be gender-affirming with gender as a focus of their work without that being discussed with the parents and the parent agreeing to that kind of care. In all my years at the Washington University of Medicine, School of Medicine, I had received solidly positive performance reviews. But in 2021, that changed. I got a below-average mark for my judgment and working relationships, cooperative spirit. Although I was described as responsible, conscientious, hardworking, and productive, the evaluation also noted at times, Jamie responds poorly to direction for management with defensiveness and hostility. Things came to a head at a a half-day retreat in summer of 2022. In front of the team, the doctor said that my colleague and I had to stop questioning the medicine and the science, as well as their authority. Then an administrator told us we had to get on board or get out. It became clear that the purpose of this retreat was to deliver those messages to us. The Washington University system provides a generous college tuition payment program for long-standing employees. I lived by my paycheck and had no money to put aside for five college tuitions for my kid. I had to keep my job. I also feel a lot of, disoil- a lot of loyalty to Washington University. But then I, but I de- I, de- I decided then and there that I had to get out of the transgender center, and to do so, I had to keep my head down and improve my next performance review. I managed to get a decent evaluation. I landed a job conducting research in another part of the Washington University School of Medicine. I gave my notice and left the Transgender Center in November of 2022. For a couple of weeks, I tried to put everything behind me and settled into my new job as clinical research coordinator, managing studies regarding children undergoing bone marrow transplants. Then I came across comments from Dr. Rachel Levine, a transgender woman who's a high official at the Federal Department of Health and Human Services. The article read, Levine, the US Assistant Secretary for Health said that the clinics are proceeding carefully and that no American children are receiving drugs or hormones for gender dysphoria who shouldn't. I felt stunned and sickened, it wasn't true. And I know that from deep firsthand experience. So I started writing everything down I could about my experience at the Transgender Center. Two weeks ago, I brought my concerns and documents to the attention of Missouri's attorney general. He is a Republican, I am a progressive, but the safety of children should not be a matter for our culture wars. Given the secrecy and lack of rigorous standards that characterize youth gender transition across the country, I believe that to ensure the safety of American children, we need a moratorium on the hormonal and surgical treatment of young people with gender dysphoria. In the past 15 years, according to Reuters, the U.S. has gone from having no pediatric gender clinics to more than 100. A thorough analysis should be undertaken to find out what this has done To the patients and why, and the long term consequences. There is a clear path for us to follow. Last year, England announced that it would close the Tavistock's Youth Gender Clinic, then the NHS's only such clinic in the country, after an investigation revealed shoddy practices and poor patient treatment. Sweden and Finland, too, have investigated pediatric transition and greatly curbed the practice, finding there is sufficient evidence of help and danger. Of great harm. Some critics—that's—I should say—I want to highlight that again. Insufficient evidence of help and danger of great harm. Some critics describe the kind of treatment offered at places like the Transgender Center where I worked as a kind of national experiment, but that's wrong. Experiments are supposed to be carefully designed. Hypotheses are supposed to be tested ethically. The doctors I worked alongside. At the Transgender Center said frequently about the treatment of our patients, we are building the plane while we're flying it. No one should be a passenger on that kind of aircraft. Wow. That's incredible. And it also this has over a thousand comments. Um, look, this is, this is disturbing and disgusting. It really is. And that last comment by these doctors are basically, we're experimenting on people. It's a new thing. And, and these kids, these teenagers are experiments. The 11-year-olds are experiments. As we try to figure this thing out. Doesn't matter how much we destroy their lives. Wow, this sounds a lot like the COVID vaccine, I know. We're just gonna experiment, see what happens, and if there are negative side effects, people get hurt and die. That's that's science, baby. So this what's interesting is this comes from a firsthand, this is not hearsay, this is not hearsay, this is not, you know, Republicans in Congress complaining, this is not Ron DeSantis, this is a person who was a left of Bernie Sanders who worked at this place, who has firsthand experience and firsthand knowledge of what's going on there. And most of this stuff I find incredibly disgusting, incredibly disgusting. And it, it goes to what's happening. We have adults, we have doctors who are basically psychologists, psychologists who are pushing their own agenda. This is their own, it's their own incredibly wacko, extreme left agenda of, eh, you want to change your sex? You got it. Here's here's my here's the note to say you can change your sex. How open-minded we are! We're open-minded. If you say you're a, if you're a guy, you say you're a girl. If you're a girl, you say you're a guy. Here here's my note. Here's all the drugs to take and be on your way. I mean, a very sad case of that girl who wanted her breasts back doesn't realize you can't get them back. They're gone forever. Your breasts are gone forever. So you can get rid of your breasts at 15, and they're gone forever. When you can't even decide when. You, <laughs> There, there are kids that are making these decisions at an age where they still believe they're still wondering if they're going to be a astronaut or a fireman when they grow up. You know, as as Pete Hegseth has said, his son thinks he can be Superman. Really thinks he can be Superman. And these are these are the people who are, who are allowing these 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 kids whose brains haven't even fully developed yet to make these decisions that will haunt them for the rest of their lives. And adults are doing it to them. Adults are allowing it, right? Adults are pushing this crap. And it's incredibly dangerous. It's incredibly dangerous. So, politically, I think we have to back these states that want to put laws into effect where this can't happen. Where this simply can't happen. Where you simply cannot do this if you're under 18 without parental consent. Period. And, um, yeah, thanks for that link, Gator. Was that a link? Yeah, sickening account of of mutilations, sterilization prompts. Yeah, Senator Josh Hawley to investigate Transgender Clinic. Thank you, I will look that up. But it's obvious what's happening is disgusting. It's obvious what's happening uh, should be illegal. It's obvious what's happening is destroying children. And this seems to be a thing now with the medical community, right? Just simply destroying children, right? Making children take the COVID vaccine and they end up getting myocarditis or whatever else they may get, blood clots. It's just basically experimenting on children. And what they do, as we've seen with these people who work at these clinics, uh, the politicians, the big pharma, or people or local politicians here, like Scott Weiner, is they, they, they excuse it as though, they are helping youth. They're helping LGBTQ youth, right? The CDC is saying they're helping children. They're helping children be healthy and not get COVID. It's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. It's all harmful. And it's proven time and time again to be harmful. We're seeing firsthand effects, uh, accounts of how harmful it is. And yet we're still allowing it to go on. Hey, Gator, how you doing? Yeah,
2: good. Thanks, Mike. Yourself?
0: To you this morning. <laughs> yeah, pretty good pretty good
2: um there was a there was a have you seen the film what is a woman
0: no i want to i want okay. to and i will this weekend
2: so I there's a, a woman on there who transitioned into a man i think i can't uh, scott i can't remember his name his surname but he was actually on a call-in show recently and i was speaking to him and uh, he's the guy on that film who regrets the choice he made and is de- has is wants is to detransition. I think he was a he was a biological woman in a lesbian couple.
1: Um
2: and then eventually he transitioned into a man and regretted it. And he's become very vocal about that, right? Um and he's obviously now trying to advocate um against the transitioning of children under these kind of circumstances you're raising right and he was very interesting to listen to so i'd definitely say have a look at that film and listen to what he's saying because it's interesting that his voice was there and 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 i specifically asked him i i I, what the first thing i asked him was do you feel that that film's edit and, and matt walsh's edit of you is fair accurate and good and i asked that for very good reason because i wanted to know if scott was going to say you know what no he's painted me in the wrong light or he should have included this or he deliberately chopped out that or whatever no scott said no it was good so so he was happy with how he's come across and what he got to say on that on that film right so it's therefore reliable from his perspective now i would i i'm have a few perspectives on this identity gender politics thing but i but the first question i would ask is hey a a rolling experiment done on the fly on potentially large populations, including children. Where have we heard of that before?
0: Oh, yeah, where have you heard of that before? (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
2: Right, right. And so there's clearly a business model element to this, right? Because what is the money that can be made from the costs of transitioning someone? And then keeping them on drugs expensive drugs for the rest of their life and sure. this is a point that scott makes himself sure right and he says that the transgender market has gone from like hundreds of thousands of pounds at a clinic because it's such a minority thing to well you only need to increase this by 15 or 20 people a year and you're into the multi-millions of income right So even numbers, you don't need to inflate the numbers that much to start radically increasing your income revenue streams from this, right? And he says this is a major problem in this respect, right? Then there is also the question of what are identity politics and gender politics and where have they come from? Who originated them and what purpose do they serve society? Now, I would argue, this is my personal view of this, is that basically all people are tribal right mm-hmm. now you can take the tribe to any level and typically people's tribes stop at their national boundary or their significant ethnic identity and so you might be british or you might be american or you might be um pakistani or you might be muslim or you might be a christian they would be the biggest kind of tribal boundaries you get And then you retreat down and you become your football team supporter your the job that you do the sort of region that you're from your political allegiance and all these forms of tribal identity now personally i feel it's valid to say that what happens to people when you squash them under economic or fear or physical stress or threat is that those tribal boundaries retreat very quickly down to the core which are your family and your friends Identity and that—that's your core tribe, right? Mm -hmm. And and within this construct is where racism lies, because racism is essentially fear and ignorance of another tribe that you are fearful or ignorant of, often for you know potentially no rational reason, but sometimes there are rational ones, right? Identity politics. Now now, and then and then basically, so in that context, when you want to control people and you want to rule them if if they are outward looking upward looking and they look out towards the world and they look past their national boundaries right they are actually you know absorbing information and they're evaluating things in their place in the world and potentially that's how you interface people and you you get a merging of culture and, and an acceptance of people because they're not Obsessed about themselves, they're not introverted. They're kind of extroverted enough to learn and ultimately break down their own tribal boundaries. And this is where the diminishment of, of, of racism has come from because people reduce their level of fear and they reduce their level of ignorance about other elements of the human race. Well, identity politics and gender politics does the reverse of that, and it forces a person's view downwards towards themselves, towards their feet. Towards their internal introversion, and it makes them self-obsessed um, or very minority-focused, minority, ultra-minority interested, and it makes them divide and subdivide and subdivide into smaller and smaller atoms of identity group, and atoms of, or tribal atoms. Right. 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 And as soon as you achieve that level of conquer and divide inside a human being. They become easy to control because they're fragmented, because they don't have solidity in group identity and tribes. But if you take a union of 50,000 people, they are hard to control. You you, you you, take a group of a minority group of like a thousand LGBTQ people and they suddenly identify as this whole separate entity. Right. They're fragmented from society and I- isolated in many ways from society. And inside that group, they might even be subdivided further. Right. And Absolutely. you break up society. By doing this. And I believe that an element of the reason why this issue is getting really, really, really disproportionate pushing from the establishment and in the media is because it drives a conquer a conquer and divide agenda which distracts society, disrupts society breaks the kind of the family bond, the family structure, the tribal structures that make people harder to, um, to, to rule. And it is a slow beat process of breaking down society.
0: Well, that could be part of it, but I, I, I think, yeah, I think what you also talked about with the drugs, right? The way once again, big pharma will make a lot of money off these drugs that are being pushed on these kids. Right. And so it's, always, it's always follow the money. And follow the evil of Big Pharma and these doctors who are prescribing these these drugs, right? And and the way they're so easy to push these drugs on these kids, and also it's there's something very and I you know I've, I know I've mentioned this during COVID. I've, I've, I've mentioned Dr. Mengele during COVID, mm. and I don't think it's an extreme thing to say. I've compared Fauci and others to Dr. Mengele, but there's also as 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 that woman says, as Jamie says. There's like this experimentation thing of this, right? Yeah. It's almost like they're experimenting. They're using their. They have their their experiments they want to do. They're they're on on humans and they're doing just the way Mengele experimented on Jews. They they're he's they're experimenting on people and they actually admitted that in the last paragraph that she says yeah. where they said we're we're you know we're basically just you know. Um, flying blind as we go through this and we'll see where we come out on the other end. We'll see what, where, what land we see beneath us when we come out of this. That is basically saying in a different way that we're experimenting on people, right? So this, this, this but that, that's, a, that's incredibly sick, all right? That's a very sick thing to say and to think is that we're experimenting, we're getting our jollies experimenting on human beings, not adults, children. It's bad enough to do this on adults, but to do it on children. And that really goes back. You see, this is why I say, when I've compared a lot of things that have happened over the last three years to Nazism and Third Reich and the Holocaust, and people go, oh God, how extreme. It's not, because that mindset, that sick mindset that, that Mengele had, is not, wasn't just an isolated incident. A lot of doctors are in that category of, of really being crazy. Of wanting to experiment, and what do they do? They experiment on humans. We've seen Fauci, or experiment on dogs, as we've seen Fauci doing, killing dogs for experiments. These are these are these are not. But because they these people have a license, because they have degrees on their walls, they're allowed to do it in the name of science. And if you if you call them crazy, who who are who, you know who can take the brunt of of the criticism, especially from the legacy media and politicians as being the crazy one with the tinfoil hat. But to, to say that mindset of doing crazy experiments on people is, was unique to one person in the history of time is ridiculous. This is, a, this, is a, this is a psychological issue with a lot of scientists, with a lot of doctors, that they do things that are not mark, morally or ethically um, prudent, that they, they have no morals or ethics when it comes to their experiments. And so I'm after what Jamie wrote, I'm beginning to see this now as the medical community, many in the medical community experimenting on children to see how it goes. And mm. that to me is criminal.
2: Yeah. I mean, criminal. I, I, all all of the stuff in, you know, it, that she put forward is valid. And I'm sympathetic towards all of it. And also the, the, there's another, there's another element to this, which is, the the mental structures and the so if you think about kind of uh, if you do a little bit of quick searching apparently the rough percentage of people maybe in the usa or maybe in western society at large who are are gay or not who are not straight is about four percent ish apparently
0: say that again people who are you mean you you mean uh, you mean there are four percent of people who are gay four percent of people are not straight apparently Roughly. Well, that's official number based on people who are out, right? I mean, Yeah, you know, exactly, exactly, yeah. right. So so you know, but it's
2: still a, a, it's still a minority, right?
0: Oh, I it's, it's I I would say, I don't want to get into the rabbit hole here. I'd say it's absolutely a minority okay. and absolutely, an absolutely higher than 4%. So <laughs> so are, so, so, so then
2: Yeah, <laughs> so then when you yeah. get into the the individual LGBTQ or any one of those letters representing a subgroup, it gets yeah. even more minority, right?
0: Yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah, sure, The course.
2: question then is do you think that those minorities are getting a proportionate number of column inches in the media about these issues, or is it disproportionate?
0: Oh, uh, disproportionate, wouldn't you say? I
2: I agree, I think it's disproportionate. Yeah, And also, what are we striving to do? Are we striving to create a society based on equal rights, or are we trying to actually identify and m- maintain and persist difference and different rights. Because representation, proportionality of representation is a form of representation of equal rights. If you're all equal, then you should all get equal exposure, right? Correct. You should all get equal ex- equal and proportionate attention. Right. And, and really, do you want the world to constantly have to forcibly recognise and explain and state your identity every time you're addressed or do you want your identity to never be the reason you're referred to does every asian person want me to say hello mr asian person (laughs) right hello mr black man right Right. (laughs) because and and morgan freeman said this he said to her to an interviewer you know what uh I I I I I do we have to refer? Do you have to refer to me as a black man? He said, "Well, I mean, it's you know, it's like it's Black History Week and it's about racism." He said, "You know what? We um, we could." He, he said to "Like, well, how would we stop racism? We'll just stop talking about it. Mm-hmm. You stop calling me a black man. I'll stop calling you a white guy. Uh, and uh, and and then and then we'll just get on with each other, shall we? And and then Morgan Freeman said, look so are you and he, the guy was Jewish, and he said, uh, okay, so do you want Jewish History Month?'" And he went, no, 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 of course not. I said, so why have I got Black History Month? It's like human history and it's history of the USA. Why are we creating these divisions and these, you know, these demarcations, right? Right. So 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 I would argue that the fact that this is getting really grotesquely disproportionate amounts of media coverage right. is not an accident, right? That's being coordinated through a number of channels that goes all the way up to the top. Look at Gensaki crying. On, on a video, claiming talking about trans issues, like she's weeping about some child, some child she's not, she's one child she's got who she says is trans, and she's weeping about some other child, some other concept, potential theoretical child's
0: rights. You know, know, the problem with a lot of these leftists is that uh, is that they want. It, it, this is part of the sickness of virtue signaling. This is when virtue signaling gets right. yeah, the whole idea. Yeah. Of, let me first talk about the idea of a gay history month, black history. That's all virtue signaling. That's all virtue signaling by politicians. That, that's that's why those things have started and by the legacy media. That's all virtue signaling bullshit. But the real sickness of virtue signaling is when you have parents who want trans children. You see? They want trans. I got one trans children. I got one gay child. I got one lesbian child. Everybody. Oh, I'm great. I'm such a great virtue signaler. They actually want their children to be this way. Yeah. and they. If they're not, they try to get them to be this way or they certainly promote this stuff to try to, you know, to try to push them in direction the way a, a parent might push your child towards a career or, or, or playing sports in the old days. Now they want to push him towards, you know, being trans. And that's the problem. That's when you get into incredibly sick virtue signaling where it makes the adult feel better about themselves, you see. And we mm. saw a lot of this during COVID. Adults to feel better about themselves and their safety punish children. Okay? They push their neuroses on children. This is more of adults pushing their shit onto kids. And that's a problem. Okay. So to, cl-
2: to close off my point and where I was trying to get to was this. Um, when you look into or when you live in a society that has a certain aspect of schooling well basically the state in most countries recognizes that when it wants to indoctrinate its society it does that through school so look at look at communist china under mao the ussr romania any of the eastern bloc countries they all manifested their communist doctrine through school in romania uh, throughout the ceausescu era it was rumored that up to one in three people in society were securitate um informers right so at a table in a house in a one child household that the informer was likely to be the child how because once the child went to school every day there would be teachers listening out and testing the child's conformance to the school agenda and all of the propaganda And also questioning and actively listening for children to reveal that things were not conformant at home. And that would be a way for the securitate to weave back, find out, identify the kid, identify the home, identify the parents and take out dissenters. Right. So what you're seeing in society now is whatever this bigger agenda of identity politics and gender politics and division and divide and conquer is manifesting in children in school being pulled into this without really fully understanding what's happening and basically if you take the old classic thing of it you know some girls were tomboys some boys were slightly girly but they didn't have any way of manifesting that they couldn't all go and go i want to transition right. and so they just got on with life and they either turned out that there was a phase they went through and they got over it and they went on and became whatever they became whether they were gay straight or whatever Right? And that was that. And they didn't all manu- affect their body parts, right? Correct. But now, mm-hmm. as they're going through that, and they're suddenly shown a leaflet that says, well, if you feel like this, you can go and have this, then they have no... Then they suddenly clued and focused and tricked and mentally rigged to assume that that's the option I need to follow because I feel like that and I feel like that. And actually, that's not the safe thing that's not the that's not necessarily an option that they should necessarily be given just at the drop of a hat if you see what i mean absolutely And so where does that lead as the as the person says you know where does that lead a child can't imagine what it's like to truly permanently sterilize themselves at the age of 14 because they can't possibly imagine how they'll feel at 40 when they go fuck me i can't have children ever right because they just haven't got the abstract thought process of being able to do it. And they don't have the emotional maturity. You know, at 24, if you decide, I definitely would rather sterilize myself for these reasons than ever have children, you're probably more likely to be able to choose that at 24 than you are at 14 years old, right? Right, absolutely. Like, sure. And so sure. We, So when you go look at the state, probably California is probably profound with this where the state's actually actively enabling all of this inside school, you are watching the state doing the same thing to society. similar things to society using the same mechanisms as Romania, Mao, you know, Stalin, whatever. It's the same techniques.
0: Well, absolutely, there's no, there's no doubt about it. And once again, I think that the, the biggest issue here is that we have Adults who are trying to push their own shit on kids, no one protecting the children. You have virtue signalers on the left who believe this is like new and enlightenment age to do this kind of a thing. It's showing how open-minded you are. And as Jamie even said in that article, if you oppose this, if you bring up these incredibly important statistics and facts that show the children being harmed. They call you a transphobe, so you go running away with your tail between your legs. Of
2: course, just like anti-vaxxer.
0: Yeah, this stuff will stop when people stop running away with the tail, and we get more people like Jamie coming out and exposing this stuff. And that, mm-hmm. that's the that's the only point as to when this stuff is going to actually stop. You know, people have to stop being afraid and bullied by the by the wackos on the left. That's the only way this is going to end. Or it's just going to get worse, and more children are going to be harmed. Mm-hmm. I, I, you hate to see what's going to happen if this continues, right? To generations from now, right? The next generation, the generation of kids who are now harmed as they become adults. We're thinking, yeah, but thinking, but also, there's well,
2: one other thing to point out about Matt sure, Walsh, go ahead. right? No problem. Yeah. Um, he, he appeared on Joe Rogan recently. Okay, now I haven't really watched the episode. I've only seen the clip. But he, may, he did something which you should be aware of, right? He claimed that the scale of the damage of the number of kids being harmed was large. That's his implication. But he had no data to scale it. He just said it's loads. And people then looked into that. And found out the number of gender transition or reassignment surgeries that had occurred in a certain period was as low as a thousand in maybe more than one year. And actually, it's not very many. Right. And this delegitimizes Matt Walsh because he should have fucking known the number. He should have known that number. If he's going to prepare to talk about statistically for an agenda, he's got to know his data. And if he, if that data is actually there's only 15 children a year in the usa who ever go through this since 19 uh you know 97 right he should be bloody well honest about that right because it would delegitimize him immediately if he if he bends that or he gets the data wrong because it doesn't mean to say that the issues are not valid even if there's only 15 kids going through it a year because the question is every single one of those children need to be sure about what they're doing as best they can that it was the right thing for them to do and and you want to minimize the possibility that any one of those 15 children when they're 35 years old is suicidal because they've because they fully regret everything they did because they did it for the wrong reasons and they didn't have the right help and da, 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 right so so what what is the other risk flip side to this is to is to claim it's a much bigger societal problem than it actually is because you're reacting to the overexposure of the uh virtue signaling side claiming that there's thousands of children and there's thousands of people who need to be transitioned right when actually there's not and and so you think the problem is bigger than it really is you see what i mean there's a big there's a big self-reinforcing fallacy going on
0: there right absolutely absolutely you know and did you hear, in that article, did you hear that she mentioned uh, the, cl- the clinic you had in, in, in Great Britain yeah. that was closed yeah. down? Yeah. Look, so.
2: like, I think you may have touched, um, I think you might be aware of this, but you know that in Scotland, Scotland has gone woke nuts.
0: Have they really? Scotland's gone woke? Yeah.
2: Oh, Scotland, like, okay, in the British Isles, Scotland is literally um, de- de- degenerated politically. So it's gone, It's it's totally covid biofascist and it's totally pursuing this woke agenda and essentially part of this may be because nicola sturgeon my understanding of the rumor behind nicola sturgeon is that actually she is not a, a straight woman she's a uh, masquerading she's a woman masquerading as, as a straight woman and her husband may may um you know sort of be sort of um essentially that might not be a completely uh Normal, fully standard, standard relationship or whatever. That's what I've been told by people who live up there. Is the generally a general constant um, rumor among Scottish Scottish society, right now? Um, Britain and so England, like London Parliament has literally had to step in and reverse law that Scotland tried to pass that essentially legitimised transitioning for children self-elected transitioning for children sort of below the age of 12 or something like that it was one of those kind of laws right right and and london literally stepped in and had to reverse it that's what scotland is trying to do is trying to to pursue these kind of policies right incredible and 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 so it's as bad in scotland as it is probably wherever this woman is talking about right oh my god yeah
0: (laughs) oh boy so this is, the nuttiness is spreading outside of this country. I thought it was, yeah, I, thought, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, thought, I thought it was, I, th- I thought it might have been confined to the United States, but I guess it's not. No. I guess
2: it's not
0: confined.
2: No. The and the worst thing is that in this, whatever the bill was, whatever the bill actually covered, I can't remember all the details of it, but it was, it was on these lines. It was voted in like 85 to 30 or 40 against. 85-ish for, for 30 or 40 against. It was a big majority mm-hmm. of Scottish Scottish politicians went, yeah, let's do it. It's, like, it's absolutely
0: insane. Incredible. It really is. Hey, hey Gator, thanks for calling. Take uh, it easy, buddy. Have a great weekend. Okay. See. All right. Let me take... Uh, who, oh, we have G- Daniel. Hey, Daniel. How's it going?
3: Hey, Mike. Um, I think we uh, really
0: need to stop um,
3: using the word transition. That's the, mm-hmm. uh, that's the language of the uh, mutilators. And um, we... Okay. Not adopting the, the language of, um, of of others is very important when you're making your when you're making your own argument, um, and you know this 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 push to use um, other people's language. We saw it during the uh, the COVID era. We keep seeing it during the COVID era, um, and we're seeing it with respect to the. Um, um, I was just about to do it myself. Say the uh, transgender. Uh, uh, controversy um, I, I hate using that word I don't use that word I, whenever I can I say mutilation and if they say mut- what kind of mutilation I'll say sexual genital, genital mutilation and they'll say well, oh you mean transgender uh, you know, how dare you couch it in those terms I go well that's what I
0: think it is Jamie Jamie, who worked there describes the mutilations she describes it yeah exactly. uh, what other word would you come up with when you take breasts away from a teenage girl a young girl and then she wants them back again yeah. What do you call that? That's that's mutilation, right? Yeah.
3: yeah. If you if, if, if you chopped off somebody's healthy arm
0: or leg, or their or, or their uh, that their that's, a, that's a great point. When we consider that mutilation, everyone would agree that's mutilation. When we talk about someone's breasts or their vagina or their or, or their penis, all of a sudden it's not mutilation. It's trend, you're right. You're right. Hundred percent right. Yeah.
3: And do you remember in the in the eight in the nineties? Most, it was mostly in the '90s. There was a big movement that was developing in in the U.S. Um, a lot of talk about it. I don't know if you want to call it movement, but there it was, it was something that was talked a lot about. It was female genital mutilation.
0: I was just, I was just, I was just thinking that exactly as you were saying that. That was a huge issue, especially weren't they doing it in South Africa or something?
3: They were doing a lot in Africa, um, not not necessarily South Africa. No, Africa, Africa, right. Not necessarily South Africa, right. Yeah, mostly mostly in Central Africa. Right, Um, right, right. right. And and, yeah, it was this big deal with a lot of feminists, um, in particular, picking up the issue of female genital mutilation. Interesting that that that, um, topic of discussion among feminists just totally disappeared in the last five years is this very weird topic of transgender uh, uh, <laughs> there I go again as this very ju- <laughs> weird topic of just sexual genital mutilation has arisen it's that that topic has disappeared. Why? Because it's really difficult to sell these two memes to people <laughs> and, and, when, when they' when they're juxtaposed <laughs> it, 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 it's, it, that issue that issue which is
0: is probably much bigger has disappeared. Well, you know, you know, what the devil's advocate would say is that those women were forced into that. And these kids are doing it on their own accord. Of course, we know that's total bullshit. As well, it Jamie... was young.
3: It was young, young girls that um, yeah. that were having the, the uh, genital mutilation in, in Africa. It, right. still, it still happens. Right. Um, and that's what they're in. That's 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 the uh, um, demographic as well in this country is young yeah. girls. I mean, this 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 gender dysphoria used to Almost, it was like a ratio of twenty to one that occurred in boys predominantly. Now, with this with this uh, social contagion um, um, uh, um, fueled uh, general mutilation, um, it's it's predominantly girls. Why? Because girls are far more shaped in their behavior by social interaction than boys. Yep. and, and you and you put in the mix the internet. And the ability to, to to get on the internet and talk to people who may not have your best interest at heart, yeah, you get social contagion just spreading like wildfire.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. The, and, and social contagion. She, Jamie mentioned social contagion many times, several times. Exactly,
3: before. exactly. It was over over a year ago. I remember uh, talking to, to to you and I think a couple other people and saying, you know, I'm declaring it now. Uh, the, uh, the the number one health problem in the world is social contagion. This mm-hmm. is what fueled COVID. This is what fueling this this sexual genital mutilation that's going on. It's fueling a number of issues right now. It's also fueling things like RCT, um, things that's you know lots lots of um, ideas that have become become memes. I don't mean memes in the sense of uh, a, a little. Uh, um, um graphics that that people put up on twitter or instagram or whatever i mean means in this in the sense of the word that has been used for for a very long time which is an idea that's that's small concise and spreads very rapidly because of its smallness and its conciseness and possibly you know that it titillates or whatever um but they're they're easily spreadable ideas and and this is this this memes we we've it's, it's like a virus. It's very much like a virus. Um, and we in this virus, this, this meme virus um, now has where it didn't have when we were kids, didn't have 20, just 20 years ago, didn't have a path to transmission. It didn't have the Internet, didn't have all of these uh, social networks that we have electronically now. We have given memes, these social contagions this huge path of transmission. And we simply, as I've said many times, simply do not know how as a human race to deal with this. It's never, we have no analog of this in our evolution whatsoever, nothing like this. And now we're having to deal with these, with this, this route of transmission of ideas that we have no perspective on. We don't have any perspective on how to use it to our advantage or how to guard against it when it comes to moral
0: hazard? Absolutely, no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it, you know. And I think I, I keep on coming back to it, but I, I just I, I think that when we're, we're talking about things that now, and, and like, like Jamie said in that article, where once she started to speak up, right within that within that group, they wanted her out right away, right? They pretty much wonder, you you go go along with what we're doing, or she could get out. They pretty much said that, right? Shut yeah. your mouth or get out. That's The problem is that's what they did to so many doctors during COVID, right? And they're doing yes. it to so many doctors with this stuff, too. There's so many doctors who aren't speaking out about this, about this genital mutilation. They're not speaking out about it. So they're being silenced. They're being silenced by the mob. They're being silenced by the mafia. They're being silenced by these crazy lunatics who will just you a homophobe or we'll call you a transphobe or we'll call you a crazy anti-vaxxer or we'll call you a trumper just to shut you up because they know they're on the wrong side of it and they can't they can't they cannot argue the facts.
3: Yeah,
2: they can't,
0: and, so, but we need more doctors. We need more people like Jamie also who speak up. And are most definitely. That. Yeah,
3: most definitely. And you mentioned you were talking earlier. um I don't know if it was. I don't think it was with Gator. And I don't know if it was with Brady or, or not. But you're talking earlier about um, experimentation. I think I think it was with Brady. Um, and no, there's but with Gator.
0: I that... was like the Mengele thing. Yeah, with Gator. Yeah. With Gator? Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. And there's been this this weird general idea that I've been seeing that um, that pops up in people's language and and discussion nowadays, um, where everything is an experiment, and mm-hmm. and they and you know I had. The discussion with one of my colleagues um, and, and this was early on in COVID and he said well you know we're going to learn about this we'll, we'll, we'll learn the results this is all an experiment isn't it and I just I just screamed at him I was so furious with him I said this this is some, this, this is somebody who is a, a, a professor at uh, Berkeley I just screamed at him I said you have got to be kidding what the fuck gives you the right or anybody else to do experiments or experiment or support experiments like this on human beings. You, you specifically, I'm yelling at him at this point, I'm furious, I'm going, you specifically, of of any of all people should know this, every time you do an experiment, you have to go through the IRB at this university, the Internal Review Board, You and you know how, what stickler these people are for morality and ethics. You could not get, you couldn't get past even suggesting doing such experiments on ten people, let alone on our entire fucking country. But here's the problem: here's where this disconnect comes in these people's minds. They are doing it on the entire country. This is like talking to people about astronomy and astronomically proportional sizes. Once you start talking about things that are so huge. People disconnect from them in the ways that they usually disconnect with smaller number of the things which they have experienced. So you, you this, this particular person I'm talking about, this colleague, I'm sure he's got in his mind that if we were to do similar experiments on 10 people, that's what we we're going to propose for some study, he would say, yeah, this has never get, get by the IRB. But now it's 300 million. It's 8 billion people. Now his mind totally disengages because those are numbers he has no um, ex- experience with. There's just nothing in his experience in this world associated with those numbers. He can say those numbers. He can kind of abstract those numbers, but there is nothing in his moral experience, any moral decisions that he's ever had to make that relate to those kinds of numbers. That's And principally because We're human beings. We were brought up in small, evolutionarily brought up in in small tribes. That's that's how we evolved in small tribes. So we aren't morally really equipped to deal with moral issues on that scale. So there's there comes this disconnect in our brains. It's a hardwired disconnect is what I'm telling you, that when you go to these large numbers, people people don't take their old morality and extrapolate that there. It's it's not the morality isn't sort of a general principle. and it's it's kind of a um it's it's kind of is a principle that's that's more specific to scales than one thinks. And and, and so all of a sudden these people who know damn well that they couldn't get away with it in ten think that they could get away with it in eight billion. Or right. think that it should be legitimate in eight billion. It's because there's this disconnect. They can't actually conceive of 8 billion people in their mind or doing something. It, so it becomes an entirely different category of experiment. It becomes an entirely different category of behaving relative to other human beings. It's the bizarrest thing. You, I could have if, if before just, if I knew this discussion was going to go this way with this colleague of mine and asked him, do you think we could do, you know, such and such an experiment on, on 10 people in our research? something, you know, an analog to what was going on with COVID, he would have said, no way, Dan, we're not going to get rid of it. We're not going to be able to get that by the IRB. And then knowing that he was about to launch and launch into the COVID thing. And I would, I would have said, well, you, 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 can you, can you make the parallels here?
0: Right. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And, and he never would have, he never would have thought about it he, and he didn't think about it. It's yeah. It was there. The, the human beings minds are are, saying, are Aren't they aren't these, People have this strange notion of our minds as though they are these things of infinite capacity and um, um, infinite malleability with respect to um, thinking about our environment on any scale in in time and space, etc. And they simply aren't Our our minds are far, far, far more machine like than people imagine our minds to be they imagine their minds to be these ethereal mysterious <laughs> right, things right. They're, they're not they're more like they're more like you know they're more like these stupid descriptions that you might see in an album cover of minds where you got gears inside your head you know right
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. wasn't that a what, what was that uh oh shit what charlie chaplin movie was that when you see the gears moving Modern times? Is it modern times? Yeah, I don't don't remember, but there's a factory. Was in the factory, and you see all those gears moving. Yeah, basically what you're talking about, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs)
3: Yeah, yeah, we don't we don't have these ethereal, you know, um, infinitely scaled uh, devices in our head that are are capable of uh, comprehending the entire universe. No, Mm -hmm. they they evolved to comprehend, you know. Yes. Very, 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 very um, small geographical space. You know, we Absolutely. weren't used to moving around beyond five miles of where we were brought up.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's true. Uh, you know, Daniel, as usual on a Friday night, you've kept John Williams waiting. It's always oh, you. Oh, John! It's yeah, all, carry it's, on. It's, yes, it's always keep, you. Queue up the band. It's always you who keep John waiting. I have to pay. Yeah, yeah. I got to pay this guy overtime. It's not enough that the guys made millions of dollars from Steven Spielberg. I got to pay him overtime. <laughs> Good to you all the time on Friday. Come on, Daniel. (laughs) Daniel, thanks for the call. Have a good weekend. Have a good night. But before we get to John, uh, this is my fault. Before we get to John, this is my fault. I do want to quickly go over a couple of things. I'll get into more on Monday Night Show. Uh, It's it's really part and parcel of what we've been talking about. This was written in the Defender, Children's Health Defense Fund, uh, Defend News and Views. Um, They wrote about the Centers for Disease Control adding the COVID-19 VAX to its routine immunization schedule for children and adults. And although the CDC doesn't have the authority to set requirements itself, the agency's immunization schedule provides formal guidance for state and local public health officials who set the rules for which vaccines are required to attend school. The schedule also is the basis of vaccine recommendations made by most physicians, Given all that we've learned about the dangers and ineffectiveness of COVID-19 shots over the last two years, it's horrifying to see how the CDC now recommends this as a routine shot to children. Mary Holland, Children's Health to Fund President and General Counsel's hold of The Defender. Although it's unsurprising given the agency capture, it's nonetheless tragic, she said. The, uh, Thursday's move formally recommendation, formalized the recommendation by the agency's Vaccine Advisory Committee, which on October 20th of 2022 voted unanimously 15-0 to recommend adding COVID-19 vaccine schedules for children as young as six months old to the new child and adolescent immunization schedule. Um, The reckless action is final proof of the cynicism, corruption, and capture of a once exemplary public health agency. ACIP members have demonstrated that fealty to their pharma overlords, Fealty to their farmer overlords eclipses any residual concerns they may harbor for child welfare. Welfare. That's from Bobby Kennedy, Jr. He wrote that back in. So now in October, once again, what this will do is what this will do is um, is it will make them uh, immune to to uh, lawsuits, basically this protect them also from lawsuits. There's something I want. I'll read more about that on monday there's more and this one other thing i'll get into more on monday and this is the cdc once again lying that the mRNA the mrna vaccine wasn't meant to stay in the arm they said it was meant to stay in the arm uh, the cdc's information page on covid 19 vaccines contains the following bullet points how they work first mrna vaccines are given to the upper arm muscle or upper thigh after vaccination the, the mrna will enter the muscle cells once inside they use the cell's machinery to produce a harmless piece of what is called the spike protein. After the protein piece is made, our cells break down the mRNA and remove it, leaving the body as waste. In other words, we have long been told it, the mRNA, stays in the arm, and then after having instructed the muscle cells to produce the spike, is disposed of. But we now know differently. Uh, there was a presentation on mRNA vaccination at the European Parliament, and there's a picture of it. It was posted on Twitter by Virginie Giron, a French member of the parliament. The speaker is no less an authority than Aslam Taritchi, the chief medical officer of BioNTech, the German biotech company that developed what has come to be known to most of the world as the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccination. After a closer look at Terici's slide, which tells a very different story than that which the CDC has been telling Americans for the last two years, far from staying in the arm and entering the muscle cells at the injection site, the injection site is only the point of departure for journey that's supposed to take the mRNA rather to the lymph nodes. The subtitle of the slide is, bring the mRNA to the right cells the right places. The deltoid is not the right place, the lymph nodes are. Once in the lymph nodes, a specific sort of cell, the dendritic cells, is supposed to manufacture a spike protein, here Colby described as the wanted poster, that will help the immune system to identify the SARS-CoV-2 virus in case of subsequent exposure. So this is more, I'll get into this also on Monday, about the lying that it does not stay in the arm, it wasn't meant to stay in the arm, and then be disposed of, as the CDC had said. So, once again, this is more that's coming out about the lies that were told us. About the vaccinations, um, and once again, how we're harming children for the benefit, for the profit of Big Pharma. All right, all right, okay. Enough, enough serious stuff. Enough serious, enough serious stuff. Let's get John Williams in here. John, John, you're up, John. Let it fly, John. Let it fly. You ready? Okay. Thank you, John. Thank you. John, stay there. I might have you play me out if I can afford it. I'll have you play me out. I'm not sure. We'll see. All right. Two films. Two very, very different films. Very... One is a foreign film called Close, which has been nominated for Best Foreign Film for the Oscars. Um, uh, and this is a foreign film from Belgium. Belgium. I always feel idiotic when I see a film and I say, oh, it's France. Must be fr- They're speaking French. Well, it's Belgium. Okay. Uh, directed by uh, Lucas dant uh, and it's uh, it's about two kids, two young boys, two year thirteen-year-old boys, uh, in the Belgian countryside. Gorgeous, gorgeous scenery. Takes place on the one of the boys works in a. Uh, they both have a big estates of a flower farm where they make flowers and they sell flowers. And um, but their relationship, as as the film develops, we see is more than just a regular relationship between two boys. It's, obviously, there's there's a there's a connection there, which is more than just friendship. Um, but they're 13 years old and, you know, they don't necessarily know exactly what they're feeling, exactly what they're going through. And so as the film goes on, we see them playing games with each other and being very close. They sleep in the same bed a lot. They sleep in each other's houses. Um, one boy is obviously much more comfortable with their their relationship than the other, uh, which might naturally be the case, Right. Uh, and, uh, as they go to school together, as, as they begin, I believe it would be 13, 14, middle school, uh, they're the, the kids in middle school because they're in middle school now, not, they're, they're, they're recognizing that there's more, they see these two boys, Leo and Remy together all the time. And so the girls start talking to them and asking them if they're gay. And of course, uh, you know, uh, Remy, the quiet one, who's more, I guess you say mature when it comes to the relationship they have stays quiet while Leo, um, Adamantly tells the girls, no, we're just good friends, shut up. And as things develop, they kind of, the, the, the boys kind of separate, right? They kind of, uh, Leo becomes maybe a little bit uncomfortable with how their relationship is perceived. Not necessarily uncomfortable with their relationship, but how it's perceived by others. And so the boys kind of drift apart. Then there's a tragedy, and I'm not going to say what it is, because you should you should see it yourself. I'm not going to give away what the tragedy is. There's a tragedy that, that, that really tears Leo's life apart. Um and he has to deal with the consequences of what happens. And as the film goes on, we see that he's having trouble dealing with what happened, he takes a little responsibility for what may have happened, he has guilt over what, may, of what happened. And the film, basically the second half of the film, while the first half shows their relationship, the second half is about Leo dealing with his guilt in consequence of what happened. Unlike American films, this film really shows relationships, not just between these two boys, but also Leo and his brother. Very close, very intimate, very human relationships. And you probably wouldn't see an American film. An American film might might feel uncomfortable going to those places. This film is not uncomfortable. It's also a film that is not of quick edits that we see in a lot of American films. What's really amazing is that the camera often just focuses on these boys, especially Leo, who's played by a young actor named Eden Dambreen. Um, and the film just it it, it 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 gives the actors a lot of time, especially these young actors, a lot of time for their scenes to develop. It doesn't cut away from the motion. It stays on them for a very long time as the scene and emotions develop. And it gives us the viewer really time to think about it and be enveloped by these emotions. A lot of them overwhelming for young kids. Both Eden Dambrino plays Leo and Gustav, did I can't I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but I think it's Diwale, D-E-W-A-E-L-E, Remy. They're fantastic. Ian Dembrine, who plays Leo, has the most amazing, amazing magnetic eyes. The, guy, the kid has a long career ahead of him with the eyes. And they're just incredible young actors. I mean, they do things that I, I, I can't see many adult actors doing. Um, and once again, the camera does not cut away from them. It, it really just focuses on them. There's a lot of time there in order for them to, for the scenes to develop and their emotions to flourish throughout the scene. It's just a very humanistic film. It's just very human, uh, the connection between Leo and his and, and his friend, the connection between Leo and his brother, and also the connection that develops between Leo and the mother of his friend after the event happens and how that and how that relationship plays out. Um, it's about guilt. The film is about guilt, it's about responsibility. It's also simply about great acting from thirteen to thirteen-year-old actors in Eden and Gustav. And like I say, it is really one of the most emotionally devastating, humane films I've seen. It's a great, shattering movie. Um, and I think it's one of the best films I've seen in a long time, but one of the best foreign films I've seen in a long time. So it's called Close. Now, the second film I'm going to review, I will do something that I started last week. I couldn't do this with Close because I I can't pl- I want to play trailers, but I can't play trailer of for a foreign film because you'll have no idea what they're saying. You can't see the subtitles. That's the way this works on radio. You can't see subtitles, believe it or not. Um, but I will play, I will play the trailer for my next film. Hold on one second. And my next film is Magic Mike's. Magic Mike's last dance. Let me see if I can cue this up. If I can cue up this trailer. Okay, here we go. Magic Mike's Last Dance.
3: What did you want before Miami?
1: I just wanted to escape my life. I need you. Do you like bartending? It's not really what I do. What is it that you really don't? But then
0: you came along
1: and gave me this unexpected, magical moment that made me remember who I really
2: was. was when I'm Show at this famous theater.
1: People are numb, Disconnected. We can awake them up with a wave of passion they've never felt before. Hell yeah. Without
3: further ado, I give you the visionary eyes. Magic lion. So it's my The real question is, why do you huh?
1: No one believed in me like Mama. So what's the show about? It's the same will she marry for love or money? So what did she pick, love and money? The real question is, why does she feel like she has to choose? It sounds to me she just needs to let go. That's good. Maybe that as well. Sorry.
2: Not shutting it down. Not this
3: time. Make, You're so good at this. Make, just let us give up on it. I want every woman
2: that walks into this theater to feel that a woman can have whatever
3: she wants, whenever she wants. Hey, I know you. You were a cop,
1: right? Is you arrest her? What's your name? Kim. let you up for the warning, right?
0: Oh, okay. They got you in the mood. They got you in the mood to dance erotically. Magic Mike's last dance. All I can say is, let's hope so. Let's hope this is Magic Mike's absolute last dance. It's a pretty terrible movie. Um, Steven Soderbergh directed it, uh, and it shot. You know, Channing Tatum is Magic Mike. I don't know if you've seen the original Magic Mike, but he's a you know he's a erotic stripper dancer. You know, guy who does lap dances and takes it to the big stage. Um, and, uh, the original film was, was pretty, uh, popular, was incredibly popular. But the, the original Magic Mike was, what, 11 years ago, it was 2012, right? So Tatum's a little bit older, but still looks great, great shape, still moves well. Um, but this film sees him as a bartender. He's retired in, retired in quotes from his dancing days, and he's working as a bartender when, uh, he works at the, he ends up at the house, uh, doing a reception at the house of a very wealthy woman played by, uh, Selma Hayek. And Selma Hayek uh, hears through the grapevine that he was a dancer and she is currently estranged from her husband, her wealthy husband. um, And she calls him in and she asks him if he would do a dance for her. And that gets everything going, gets the juices flowing again. He does this great erotic dance for her. She has a wonderful night and she decides she wants to take him to London because her husband owns a theater in London. And this theater is doing a play and she wants to put on a she has a, visions of putting on this great performance of these dancers, these these strippers who put on this high art dance performance. High art also in quotes. And she wants Mike to be the director, right? With his experience of dancing, erotic dancing, she wants him to direct the whole thing. And they also kind of fall in love and so on and so forth. And uh, of course, the film culminates in this night, this one night only event they put on where they have about 15 dancers, you know, dancing for... Sexually repressed women of London. Um, the film script is so absolutely thin. All of the actors feel like they're sleepwalking. Selma Hayek looks lost and puzzled through most of the movie. Channing Tatum barely acts, off for whispering half the time. Um, this whole quote-unquote script, which isn't much of a script, was which is full of holes that tries to develop some kind of, you know, tension leading up to the big night. Will it happen? Will it not happen? We've seen this before. Many, many films. This is a cliche. But it's so poorly written that there's really no tension leading up to the big night. It just kind of happens. Um, And also their relationship is so poorly written and fleshed out, and there's no chemistry between the two of them at all. Uh, The whole film is basically just a a series of events that's going to lead up to, you know, very well choreographed and photographed dancing sequences. Um, which aren't really erotic enough or don't push the envelope enough as much as they think they are and uh, uh, culminates like the last basically 15 20 minutes where they put on this show and we get all these very fancy staged and choreographed dance sequences of of, of rippled ripped up ripped men stripping for women it's it's once again this whole film is basically just uh, uh, out there to make money basically you know try to capitalize on the first film from 11 years ago and it's as though they put zero interest into the writing, zero interest into character development, zero interest into acting. Steven Soderbergh put zero interest into directing. And what we get basically just a few fancy dance sequences in a very shallow, hollow film, um, which I, once again, is just a money-making vehicle. We'll see if it works. Hopefully it doesn't, and hopefully it's Magic Mike's Last Dance, because the film is pretty much a bomb. Okay, so that's two films, Close, one you should, I highly recommend, and Magic Mike's Last Dance, which I do not recommend. John, are you still here? Did I talk too long? Oh, John's still here. John's a great guy. John's just a great fucking guy. All right, John, can you play me out? Thank you. Oh, John. Thank you, John. Okay. John, you can't, it's about, right now it's almost one o'clock here, Pacific time. Bart closed. You can't take Bart home. Sorry. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, I want everyone to have a great weekend. It was another great week of shows. Uh, I want everyone to have a great weekend. Enjoy the weekend. Uh, As usual, I'll be back here Monday night. This show is called And Let's Be Heard. It airs Monday night through Friday night, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern. Okay. And once again, this is Mike Achopoli reminding you that your influence counts. Use it.